Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good evening, everyone. My name is Alicia, for those of you who don't know. I was saying before, oh, it hopefully will be a quiet service tonight. It's a bit easy for me, but we've actually got quite a few new faces. So welcome. My name is Alicia. Like I said, I've been going to CCM for quite a few years now. Um, and yeah, so we've been doing, as we've already kind of probably picked up, we've been doing a series um, called Creation Matters, and it's been looking at different parts of the Bible and creation story and how that shows that we need to care about creation. Um, and it's been based on this book by Dave Buckler. So if you haven't read it, I would recommend it. it's really good and really easy to read. And so the preachers have been kind of been pulled from um, different chapters of this book. And so each part of the series has kind of looked at different things about how creation has begun, how God's still involved in creation, how the fall of mankind broke our relationship with God and with creation, um, how land is an essential theme in the Bible and it can impact how we live our lives. And today I'm looking at a different element that is really intrinsic in the Bible but can show just how important it is that we need to consider our attitude and our impact towards creation and so I'm looking at, um, the title of this sermon that I'm looking at is called God's Son's World. So it's how Jesus relates to creation and how he inspires us to look at what impact we have on the world. And so as I said, it's following the book called Planetwise. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just going to keep plugging that book because honestly it's so good and it's really good at explaining why we really need to care about creation. So when I was a bit younger, I used to be really into watching superhero films. My family was always into Marvel, DC, anything like that. And I love watching those films, but something that always really bugged me in those films is the classic superhero saves the world. But by doing that, he's destroyed like this big city. It was always some like metropolis city that would be absolutely mowed down, destroyed to the ground. Um, and it would always be like, oh, the superhero's done this amazing thing, but he's completely like washed the city out to do that. Um, and as someone who loves organisation and likes things to be neat and tidy, I mean, not saying that I always managed to do that. It really would bug me when I would see, be like, yeah, he's saving the world, but he's literally just pushed the building down. Um, and in the films, we don't really see the aftermath of that. We don't see who's clearing it up. We don't see who's made those buildings, probably quite angry about it. We just kind of see the hero winning. And our world can be a little bit like that. Our generation and the generation before us has seen some of the, like the fastest turnovers in technological advancements, in um, just things coming into fruition through technology or different inventions and things like that. For example, like the introduction of single-use plastics that's absolutely revolutionised the medical and, and hygiene fields or international supply chains that mean that we can have anything that we want delivered right to our doorstep and industries sort of becoming bigger and bigger so that they can literally serve our every need. And it's great, like you can't deny some of those things are absolutely fantastic but if we look back and see what damage it's done it's pretty severe pretty severe damage to people pretty severe damage to our planet and so when I'm seeing those films and thinking about the damage that has been done um, and like who's got to clear it up and who's made that when we sort of apply that analogy to our world we can look and the answer to that is that the, the creation that we've left in ruin is, is Jesus' creation. Jesus cares about it. And by that extension, we're the hands and feet of Jesus and we need to care about it and do something about it. The crisis that is in our world, whether it be climate change or other crises that we see, it, it, they need a saviour. We need, it needs fixing. 
And the fact is as well is that Jesus is always culturally relevant. It doesn't mean that we fit Jesus into our story and kind of bend him to fit our ideologies. But actually, when we look at the Bible um, and maybe see it in a way that we haven't before or apply it to a situation that we haven't before, we see that Jesus is always relevant to that. He always has an answer to the problems that culture presents. And climate change is actually quite a recent problem. I mean, we've been making the damage for a long time, but actually realising what's happened is fairly recent, I'd say, within our generation, maybe our parents' and grandparents' generation. But within people's living minds is when we've actually started to realise what damage we have been doing to the planet. And so we've not really thought about it in our faith. If anything, we've actually been a, late, been a bit late to thinking about how our faith applies to it and maybe been avoiding the question. But it's something that we can't really avoid and need to think about. So in this book, in the chapter that I was looking at for this preach, um, the author focuses on a particular passage that I'm going to read out, I think is really relevant. And it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. And it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have, have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." So this passage really shows the scope of who Jesus is. He's the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created. He holds all things together and he reconciles things both in heaven and on earth. So to say that him and creation are separate would actually be quite difficult looking at this verse. It says all things were created in him, not just us. He holds all things together. And ultimately, Jesus is the hope that we need to the crises that we see happening all over the world, where relationships are broken and injustice exists in the climate, in racism, in war, in sexism, whatever it is, Jesus is the hope that will bring all things back together and reconcile in heaven and on earth. He will bring those broken relationships back together. But as Christians, we generally do know that as a sort of on a, on a knowledge level, we tend to at least know that to some extent. But we can't just leave it at that. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to do his good work and bring his good message. So if we talk about hope and restoration that Jesus brings, we're intrinsically called to be part of that because God's glory and God's kingdom is something that is to come in the future, but it's also something that we work to bring to earth right now. So as I launch into this preach a bit more, the chapter in this book was split into three parts, which I'm, which I'm going to follow because I think it was really, really um, interesting and useful to see how Jesus' story comes into part of this. So the three parts are Jesus is creation source, he's creation sustainer, and he's creation saviour. Really good alliteration. So write that one down if you take notes. <laughs> so again, going back to when I watch films, something else that I find interesting is when you watch a really good film and you'll know who the actors are. I love to like look up who the actors are whilst I'm watching the film. And you get to the end and you also see that the main actors is either like the director or the producer. And sometimes I'm a bit like, well, you're tooting your own horn, really. Like, you're being the actor and you're directing. Like, you know, give someone else a bit of a go. But actually, being a part of their own artwork is quite profound when you think about it. As a director, they've kind of got an overarching view of everything. They're in control of every bit of the movie. Um, they get to kind of have artistic control over things. But then it's quite different when they play an individual role. They've got a really intimate knowledge of that role and that character, and they can bring that a different side to the art, basically. And so when God sent Jesus to the earth, it was a little bit like this. 
in John chapter 1, verse 1 to, 1 to 3, excuse me, it says, and this is at the very beginning of the New Testament, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then if you skip forward a bit to verse 14, we see that this passage is actually talking about Jesus because it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came to earth and he was 100% man. He was 100% one of us. Yet he was also still 100% God and was still 100% creator of the earth, as well as being the son that lived in creation as a human. And so Jesus being born in that way is such an amazing plan because God, the absolute creator over the entire universe, actually becomes part of creation and, and lives as a human. And so he knows what it's like to live as a human. He knows what it's like to be like us and can relate to us in that way. So Jesus was creator and was part of creation. But why does that matter? Did Jesus actually care about us in terms of about creation and about the world? Well, I would hope so, seeing as he was the creator and the world was created for him. But we can actually see that lived out by the way that Jesus lived and the way that he taught, that he did really care about creation. When he walked on the earth, um, just the way that he taught and the way that, that he lived, when we read the Bible and read about that, we can see that the, the Bible does tell us that he cared. Jesus was really intimate with creation and he took time to care about it. When you read about Jesus' parables, um, it shows us that he knows the intricate patterns and rhythms of creation inside out. He often talked about how various plants or crops grew or how animals acted. Just the intrinsic patterns of nature were what he used to describe um, and teach us how, how we should live. For example, if you look in Matthew 6, it says, Jesus is saying, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you be worrying? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all the splendour was dressed like one of these. So Jesus uses nature and creation to tell us how he lives. And it shows that he cares for it as well. He does show that he cares for us more deeply, which is completely true. But he does show how much care and intricacy goes into creation. Again, in Matthew 10, it says, are, two sparrows sold for, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Again, Jesus shows that God does consider us more important than, than the animals and other creation from the earth, which does ring true throughout the Bible. But yet he does show that he still cares really deeply for creation. Jesus created creation as being fully God. And then his time on earth also shows that he knows it really well. He shows that God cares for it deeply and that, that God cares for creation. And he asks us to learn from that. So when we look at nature, when we look at creation, it's to show just a glimpse of how much God loves us and how much God cares for us. So if we look at what we're doing to creation now, would we still be able to see that? Would we see God's way of how creation would be or will we just see what humans have done to it? And if we're to learn from creation, can we still do that with what, with what what we've done to it. And when we read that, it means that we can't separate honouring Jesus and honouring creation. 
creation isn't only God's in heaven, it's Jesus who walks on earth as well. So a part of following Jesus and following what the Bible shows us is to look at creation and see how carefully it was created and to learn from it and by extension to, con- to care for it so we can continue to learn from it. And if we know this and compare how we see what's happening in the world today with the climate, then there really does need to be a shift in our attitude. We need to restore creation to be able to look at it and see the way that God created it. So as part of my job, I um, sometimes take food parcels out to people. And um, the other day I was taking one out and I had parked my car. It was maybe about 15 minutes away, but I thought it was about five minutes away. I'm not very good at judging time or distance. So I was like, yep. I'll take this food parcel. It was like a bag about this big, piling over the top. I was like, it's fine. I'll carry it to my car. It's absolutely fine. And I carried it. I also had my laptop on my shoulder, on my bag, a backpack on, and a big coat on because it was cold in the morning, but in the middle of the day, it was boiling hot, but I still had to carry my coat. So I was trying to hold everything together, walking down the road, realising that it was taking a lot longer than I thought, and like my laptop was slipping off my arm. I was sweating. I was getting really frustrated. And then things started falling out, and I was like, I can't hold this together. I just realised I wasn't actually able to hold anything together so I was walking down the street and there were like a few tins I was like that's just collateral damage just gonna have to leave that now I got to the parking and it was a multi-story parking and I forgot where my car was so we're up and down the stairs dropping more stuff couldn't hold any of it together and then realized that my car was on the first floor the first time that I had looked and I just walked right past it so we got to the car just shoved everything everything in and let it go and was obviously quite frustrated and I just realised I'd overestimated the fact that I was able to hold things together. And I wasn't. And that's quite a trivial situation where I physically wasn't able to hold things together. But I think sometimes in life we can actually feel that way. We can feel like we've lost grip on, we've got a grip on one thing and then another thing falls apart. Um, and sometimes that can even be on a bigger world level. I don't know about you, but I felt we were all of a sudden coming out of COVID. Everything was getting a bit better. And then the war in Ukraine happened and it just felt like another thing kind of slipped out of our hands and and just couldn't hold it all together and it it can just feel like one thing is good and then other things slips out and then or it can just feel like everything's falling apart sometimes and in the passage that I read in Colossians verse 17 says that Jesus holds everything together and so the book that that we're following for this series he labels Jesus as the sustainer of creation because Jesus is the one who does restore and will restore broken relationships in our world and holds everything together in balance where we're not able to do that And if you look at the world, physically, there are so many fine balances in the way that our planet is created, such as the way that atoms are formed to make up matter around us, the way that water and air perfectly sustains life, and certain environments are perfect for certain plants, and so on and so on. Um, And God created the world to be that way, and that's why it works, and it's so clever. And if we disturb that balance, we're kind of taking into our hands and unbalancing something that God's created. And the truth is that Jesus restores that balance. And that is such a comfort to us in a time where we look out into our world and just see so many things going wrong. But it's also quite useful to think about it almost as a warning that without Jesus, things do fall apart. We're not capable of of bringing things together on our own human strength. And if we think about climate change, the balance in the climate has been upturned, but there's also been um, broken down relationships between people, you know, greed that leads to wars, hatred, racism, sexism, sexism, it's all broken down relationship. And that's why we need Jesus in every aspect of our life. And that's why in a world where people don't know Jesus, we do have those issues that come about and are quite severe at the moment. And so our broken climate also it impacts the people that we should care about the most in so-called third world countries, people who are poor, they are the people who feel this the most. So 
if we're thinking about broken relationships and, and Jesus restoring those relationships, we have to think about those people as well. An organisation called Friends of the Earth estimates that there are already 40 million environmental refugees in the world. And in 2008, the UN said that climate change means that there will be at least an additional 150 million environmental refugees by 2050. I think we found it quite easy to compartmentalise climate change as something that's just to do with the physical world, but it's actually quite clear it's a people problem too and we should care about it. If it's clear that Jesus cares about people and he cares about creation, then there must be something that we need to do to be a part of that. In Jesus' story, he eventually left the earth and ascended to heaven, but he left us with his Holy Spirit. And that's how he still acts in creation today, and he still acts and, and, and is with us. So be, him being the sustainer it means that he's committed to creation and he won't abandon it. And that, that's true, he's still here with us. But part of that is a calling for us to work in partnership with that. We're the stewards of, of the creation that he hasn't abandoned. And in that, that same sense as well, Jesus also sustains us. Everything we do is in his strength, and it should be the same for caring for the planet. If we treat Earth's resources as though they are not, as though they're just for us and not God's, no wonder things have gone wrong, really. And we try to have, um, we try to change that mindset for various things. Like I've often heard preachers on this mindset about money. The money we have is not ours, but it's God's, and so to give back to him is to give back to God. Or the way that we treat other people, you know, treat other people as your neighbour or see them how Jesus sees them. Um, and that's a message that we try to spread to get rid of inequalities. So we also need to have this mind, mindset across the board for creation as well, that this is God's world and we are here to steward his creation. We need to bring Jesus to people so that Jesus can do his work and mend those broken relationships with people on the planet. And quite often as Christians, we have to tell uncomfortable truths to people, to people who think they're doing just fine without God and they don't need his help. And the gospel is sometimes an uncomfortable truth because it makes us reflect on our sin. And so we know that sometimes truth is uncomfortable and that's nothing new to us. We know that people can be resistant to confronting their sin. And so sometimes it can, it can be uncomfortable to bring that truth. And it's the truth of this kind of topic as well. It's quite uncomfortable to think about how we should live, to think about how we should change how we're living. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't bring these topics forwards for Jesus. So we should be able to speak about the effects of an unsustainable lifestyle on the planet and on poor people and on the world because where we see broken relationships between each other, that's something that we need to bring Jesus into, even if it is quite an uncomfortable truth to speak about. So we've looked at how the Bible tells us that... Um, it points us towards caring for creation because Jesus is the source of that creation. He is the creator and he sustains it because he mends these broken relationships. But the fact of the matter is our world, the climate and creation and all these other issues included, it is in a worrying state right now. We need a solution and we need a hope. And there are practical solutions that we can bring to save the climate, which I think we should be engaging with. But ultimately, what needs fixing are those broken relationships between us and God, between us and each other and us and creation. But that's the amazing thing about Jesus, is that's why he came to the world. He, sent, he was sent here to bring us salvation and to save the whole world and restore what's broken. In um, Tim's preach that he did um, last week, he, we heard about how land is such a recurring theme in the Bible. And now today we've heard that creation was, um, that creation was created for and by Jesus, and he clearly cares about it. So when we think about this and look back at history, we've seen how pe people in history tend to look at the Bible and miss out bits that they don't want to think about right now or they're not relevant to how it is right now. I mean, if you think about slave owners preaching to their slaves from the Bible in the 1700s and 1800s, that's quite a clear example of that, I think. 
And so climate issues have only really become an issue in the past few decades, and so since we've only started noticing the damage, but we're still quite slow on the uptake to do anything and to see how the Bible already fits into this. We're not bending the Bible around what we want to say. It is in the Bible. Because God is bigger than creation. He's you know, the creator of the entire universe, but he is also really personal. He's so personal that he sent his son to die for us. So our one in eight billion soul is something that he wants really dearly. But he's also so powerful and amazing that he has the time and the ability to care for the entire world at the same time. If we look to the Old Testament, um, God makes a covenant to Noah after saving him and many animals in the ark from a flood that got rid of the rest of the world. And God commanded Noah to save the animals, not for human sake, but solely for the fact that God wanted the animals to be saved. And in that, when we look um, in Genesis chapter 9, God made a covenant and he made a promise. And the animals on the earth, they were actually included in that promise as well. It says, then God said to Noah and his sons, this is Genesis chapter 9, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God made a covenant, but his part of that promise was actually promise, making a promise about the earth. God loves us, and, and he sent his son to die for us as people, but God also really loves crea- the creation that he made because he made a good creation. And so the promise that Jesus brings salvation is an answer and a continuation to this covenant in Genesis, and that through Jesus we don't have to perish, and through Jesus will bring restoration. But this promise also covers the fact that it was made to the earth, and it's something that we can expect to be fulfilled in the future when Jesus returns and there'll be a new life and a new earth. But it's also something that we work with to bring to the earth today. We work with Jesus to bring it to the earth today. So if we know that our salvation is through Jesus and we live to act that out and and bring others to know that, our actions should also shape um, and and should reflect um, restoring the world as well. There is a hope for a new world um, and a new future when Jesus comes back. And when we speak of that future, we often speak of the kingdom that's not yet, the God's kingdom that's going to come. But there is also a kingdom now, and we need to work on creation as part of this kingdom now. We still live in a world that has um, scars of damage that we've caused. Some of them irreversible, some of them are reversible. Um, but we can still bring Jesus in to restore it. We don't have to wait until we have this new creation to take action. We don't need to wait for a fully new world to start doing something about it. And so there is a hope of a world that's, that's yet to come, that Jesus will come back again at some point. But he still lived and breathed in this current world. He walked the, earth, the same earth that we walked on right now. So we can still work to bring God's kingdom and that by doing that, that advocates and restores broken relationships, it restores broken land. And so that's something that I want to challenge us today to think about when we're living for God and being his hands and feet. It's, it's doing that as well. And so Dave Buckless, who's the author of this book, he said something that I think is quite powerful, so I'm just going to read straight from him. He says, Christians have a hopeful vision of the future, a time when God's kingdom rule will once again be established throughout creation. In our prayer lives, we can hold together that vision of a transformed world with the agony of how things are. Only then will we become transformed people who pray and work to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done on this earth as in heaven. So we don't need to wait to start acting today because Jesus is already the saviour of the world. He saved us and we live to bring that to other people and to bring hope and to bring restoration. And I think that includes bringing restoration to to the world as well. 
And as I'm talking about all of this, um, hopefully showing how Jesus shows that we need to care for the planet, I just want to say it's not a competition. It's not something to become legalistic about. When I was preparing this this week, to be honest, I was extremely challenged as well to think that I probably haven't been living this way um, where I could have been. And it really made me think about the way that I want to change how I live and understanding that it's living for Jesus. And I think it's also known that we can't change all at once. And we need to acknowledge that sometimes it's bigger changes that need to happen on a political and government level. Um, that make a big impact on climate change. But this shouldn't cloud the fact that our actions can reflect worship for God um, and can reflect us caring for his creation. When we accept Jesus into our hearts, the next step is to pick up our cross and follow Jesus in this world. So when we restore, so we restore the broken relationships that we see in this world with each other and with the earth, knowing that we do it in God's power and that Jesus is the ultimate restorer of those relationships. Our faith has to spill over into our work, into our life, into our politics. It can't be locked up as this sort of single element that we speak about on a Sunday. It should command and shape our whole being. So to finish, I'm just going to read a couple of passages um, in this book, just because I think it just the way he writes it, and this is why you should read it, I think it's just really key. So he's talking about Jesus is this good message that he brings. And he just says, what is the good news for a rainforest that's being chopped down to feed our meat hungry lifestyles? What is the good news for those who face the spread of deserts and failing crops as a result? What is the good news for creatures that God lovingly made but are now driven towards extinction? What is the good news for the world's climate systems as they become thrown off course by our polluting lifestyles? I believe there is good news for all these situations and it's found in Jesus. In the good news of the cross and resurrection, it's the good news that God is committed to sustaining and renewing the creation he made in love. It's the good news that sinful, greedy, polluting human beings can be transformed inwardly in their relationship with God and outwardly in their relationship with others and the planet. This is the good news that our world so desperately needs, our mission at a time of ecological crisis. And then he goes on to say, the whole church includes every Christian without exception. The whole gospel means the good news of Jesus as it applies to every dimension, spiritual, physical, social, and environmental. The whole world includes not just people of every nation, but the whole creation made by and for Jesus, finding its purpose in Jesus and able to enjoy its freedom because of what Jesus has done. So I'm just going to finish in prayer, but I just challenge us to think about um, where Jesus wants us to make changes in our lives and talk to him and ask him where that is. And I'm just going to invite um, his Holy Spirit to come as we pray and worship. I'm just going to finish there. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you made this world, Lord. I thank you that as we look to whether it's scientific processes or just trees that we see in the park, Lord, I thank you that you made that. How incredible is it that that's who you made and that you sent your son who was 100% you but was 100% human. So he knows how we, how we live. He knows what it's like to be human. And I thank you that Jesus cared so much for your world as well. I pray that it just challenges to look at how we can care for your world. Um, I pray that it challenges us to pray for your world as well, Lord. Um, and just to see where we can bring your kingdom now, Lord. I pray that when we think about climate change and all of these issues, we won't just see it as a separate issue, but an issue that affects your people that you love so dearly, but affects the world that you made. And I just pray that we can be your hands and feet to restore that and to just worship you in whatever way that is, Lord. I pray that all of this won't be to focus on the climate away from you, but actually just to worship you and recognise that you are Lord and you are King. And um, I just pray that you'll bring your Holy Spirit now. Amen.